Section 6 of the Animal Storybook. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Rebecca Zimmerman. The Animal Storybook. Edited by Andrew Lang. Chapter 6. Snake Stories. By Mrs. Lang. In 1850, Baron de Vogan, a French gentleman, left his native land and set sail for North America, to seek his fortune and adventures. He was descended from two noble adventurers, the Vaughan who led a cavalry troop from Dover to the Highlands to fight for Charles II, and the Vaughan who rescued Queen Clementina, wife of James III, from prison in Innsbruck. In 1850 adventures, wild beasts and red Indians were more plentiful than now, and Vaughan had some narrow escapes from snakes and bears. Soon after coming to North America, he had his first adventure with a rattlesnake. He was then camping at the gold fields of California, seeking for gold in order to have money enough to start on his voyages of discovery. His house was a log hut, built by himself, and his bed a sack filled with dry oak leaves. One day, finding that his mattress needed renewing, he went out with the sack and his gun. Having filled the sack with leaves, he went off with his gun in search of game for his larder, and only came home at nightfall. After having cooked and eaten his supper, he threw himself on his new mattress and was soon asleep. He awoke about three, and would soon have fallen asleep again, but he felt something moving in the sack. His first thought was that it was a rat, but he soon felt by the way it moved that it was no quadruped, but a reptile. No rat, but a snake. He must have put it in the sack with the leaves, as might easily happen in winter when these creatures are torpid from the cold and sleep all curled up. With one leap the baron was out of its reach, but wishing to examine it more closely, he took his gun to protect him in case of danger, and came near the bed again. But the ungrateful beast, forgetting that they had been bedfellows, threw itself on the gun and began to bite the muzzle. Fearing that it might turn and bite him next, the baron pulled the trigger, and hitting the serpent, literally cut it in two. It measured two feet long, and when the baron cut off its tail, he found a quantity of scales which made the rattling sound, from which the serpent gets its name. As soon as the baron had found enough gold, he bought a mule, whom he called Caddy, and whom he became very fond of, and set off into the backwoods in search of sport and adventure. Poor Caddy eventually met a terrible end, but that is a bear story. He soon added another companion, a young Indian girl, Kaluna by name. She was the daughter of a chief of the Utah tribe, and had been taken prisoner, with several other women, by a tribe of hostile Indians, whom the baron fell in with. She would have been tortured and then burnt with the other prisoners, had the baron not saved her life by buying her for a silk handkerchief, a knife, and fork and some colored pictures. She wandered with him and shared all his adventures, till she was found again by her tribe and taken back to them. One hot day they had been marching together about thirty miles through a country infested with panthers and pumas. The baron was heading the procession, when suddenly a cry from Kaluna that she only used in moments of danger made him turn around. Then he saw that what he had taken to be a huge rotten branch of a tree and had even thought of taking with him for their campfire that evening, was in reality an enormous serpent. It lay across the path asleep, 
its head resting on the trunk of a tree. The Baron raised his gun to his shoulder and came nearer the monster to get a good aim. He fired, but missed. The horrid creature reared itself nearly on end and looked at him with that fixed stare by which the serpent fascinates and paralyzes its victim. The Baron felt all the fascination, but conquering it, he fired a second time, and this time wounded the creature without killing it outright. Though mortally wounded, the snake's dying struggles were so violent that the young trees all round were leveled as if they had been cut with a scythe. As soon as they were sure that life was extinct, Kaluna and the Baron came nearer to examine the snake's dead body. Though part of his tail was missing, he measured, nevertheless, five yards long and eighteen inches round. Thinking that it seemed of unusual girth, the Baron cut it open with an axe and found inside the body a young prairie wolf, probably about a week old. The peculiarity of this snake was that it gave out a strong odor of musk, like the sea serpent in Mr. Kipling's book. The most horrible serpent that the Baron encountered and slew was the horn snake. He learned afterwards from the Indians that it is the most deadly of all the snakes of North America, for not only is its bite venomous, but its tail has a sting which contains the same poison. It crawls like other snakes, but when it attacks it forms itself into a circle, and then suddenly unbending itself flings itself like a lion on its victim, head forward and tail raised, thus attacking with both ends at once. If by chance it misses its aim and its tail strikes a young tree and penetrates the bark, the tree immediately begins to droop and before long withers and dies. On the occasion when the baron encountered it, Kaluna and he had been fleeing all night, fearing an attack of hostile Indians. About daylight they ventured to stop and take rest and food. While Kaluna lit the fire, the baron took his gun and went in search of game. In about half an hour he returned with a wild turkey. When they had cooked and eaten it, he lay down and fell asleep, but had only slept for two hours when he awoke, feeling his hand touched. It was Kaluna, who woke him with a terror-stricken face. Looking in the direction she pointed, he saw about fifty yards away an enormous horned snake wound round a branch of sassafras. It was lying in wait for a poor little squirrel that cowered in the hollow of an oak. As soon as the squirrel dared to show even the tip of its nose, the serpent flung itself at it, but in vain, as its great head could not get into the hole. "'Fortunately,' the baron says, "'my gun was by my side. I rose and went to the rescue of the defenseless little creature. When the serpent saw me, he knew he had another sort of enemy to deal with, and hissing furiously hurled himself in my direction, though without quitting his branch. I stopped and took aim.' The serpent eventually understood my attitude perfectly, for unwinding himself he began to crawl with all his speed toward me. Between us there was fortunately an obstacle, a fallen chestnut tree. To reach me he must either climb over it or go round, and he was too furious to put up with any delay. Ten paces from the tree I waited for him to appear, one knee on the ground, my gun at my shoulder, and the other elbow resting on my knee to steady my aim. At last I saw his hard head appear above the fallen tree. At the same moment I fired, and the ball pierced his head through and through, though without instantly killing him. Quick as lightning he wound himself round a branch, lashing out with his tail in all directions. It was his dying struggle. Slowly his fury subsided, 
and uncoiling himself, he fell dead alongside the tree. I measured him and found he was eight feet long and seven or eight inches round. He was dark brown, and his head had two horns, or rather horned knobs. Wishing to carry away some souvenir to remember him by, when I should be at home again in France, I tried to cut off his horns, but found it impossible. Out of curiosity I then took an axe and cut him open, when I found inside a little bird, dazed but living. Presently it revived and began to flutter about, and soon flew away among the bushes and was lost to sight. I did not know then that this is a common occurrence, and that when the Indians find a serpent asleep, as is generally the case after the creature has gorged itself, they hit it on the head with a stick, which makes it throw up what it has swallowed whole, and its victims are often still living. Kalua, on one occasion, had a narrow escape. She had put her hand in a hollow in a branch of a cherry tree where there was a blue jay's nest to take eggs, as she thought. Hardly had she put in her hand when she screamed with pain. A rattlesnake that had taken possession of the nest had stung her. The baron, much alarmed, expected to see Kalua die before his eyes. He did not know of the remedy the Indians use for snake bites. Kalua herself was quite undisturbed, and hunted out among the bushes till she found the plant she knew of. Then, crushing some of the leaves between two stones, she applied them to the bite, and in a couple hours was completely cured. Besides these snakes, the baron learned from the Indians that there is another even more dangerous, though not from its sting, which is not poisonous, but because it winds itself round its victim and strangles him to death. Fortunately, the baron never met one, or he would probably not have lived to tell his snake stories. End of section 6. Recording by Rebecca Zimmerman.